Good morning, church family. Let me extend my welcome to those of you who are visiting with us today. We're delighted to have you. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus. We resume our study through the book of Exodus this morning. If you're visiting with us, it is our habit on a weekly basis to take the text of Scripture, to take books of the Bible, and to work through those books of the Bible over the course of the last 12 weeks during the summer, we were in the Psalms, and we returned this week to the book of Exodus. For we believe that the Bible, each portion of the Bible, the Old and New Testament, each book of the Bible is equally inspired and the Word of God, and the one way in which you and I rightly know who is God is through His Word. So we want to give attention to the Word of God. We also make available for you each Sunday in your worship guide, a section in your worship guide, for you to be able to take notes during the preaching. We want you to be an active participant in our time of worship through the preaching of the Word, and we want to commend this section of our worship guide to you as a means of active participation in hearing the Word of God. Exodus chapter 5, as we begin our time together through the book of Exodus again. You might have forgotten exactly where we left off. If you'll remember in Exodus chapter 4, Moses has made his way down to Egypt. The nation of Israel is enslaved there. Moses ends up in this narrative uh, killing a man, and he flees. And as Moses is away from the nation of Israel and the land of Midian, he ends up meeting a young lady, and he's going to marry her and his father-in-law, Jethro. But Moses also has this encounter with God. You might remember that encounter through the burning bush in which the Lord makes this revelation of himself to Moses. And as the narrative would continue, gives to Moses this call, this task, that he is to go back to the people in Egypt and he is to lead them out of slavery and into freedom. But we come to chapter 4 and Moses reveals for us there's a problem. Moses doesn't like to speak. He thinks he has an issue with speech. And so God says to Moses, don't worry about that. I'm going to make a provision for you. And the Lord gives to Moses Aaron. And as the narrative would conclude in chapter 4, Moses is in the wilderness. The Lord says to Aaron, just go out into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, Moses and Aaron connect. And they're going to connect for a very specific purpose. Hear the words of the Lord from Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. By the way, friends, this is the narrative of the entire book of Exodus. But not only is it the narrative of the entire book of Exodus, this gospel call is the narrative of the totality 
of the text of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. God is calling a group of people. God is calling those who do not believe to believe and to walk in obedience to His Word and in walking in obedience to the the Lord's Word that they might ultimately worship Him. Friends, this is the purpose of why we gather today. If you are here today and your life has been radically transformed by the power of the gospel, you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in the work of Christ. God has designed you and me to respond to that work of grace through a lifetime of worship. And the worship that God is calling the nation of Israel to in Exodus is the same worship of God that God by His Spirit is calling you and me this morning to, to give our lives in worship of this triune God. So we come to Exodus chapter 5. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses and Pharaoh, sorry, Moses and Aaron are going to finally accomplish the task that God had given them back in Exodus chapter 3. We don't know how much time has elapsed from the moment in which Aaron and Moses meet in the wilderness to this text here in Exodus chapter 5, but we do know they've been given the map, if you will. They've been given the instructions. They know what they are to do And in Exodus chapter 5, out of obedience to the Word of God, Moses and Aaron are going to serve as the prophets of God to this one who is representative of an evil pagan system of disbelief, of rebellion against God. And Moses and Aaron will serve in that prophetic role, communicating, thus says the Lord. We learn from this text of Scripture that God is constantly calling His people to obedience. God is constantly calling His people to obedience, despite the disobedience of unbelievers, regardless of consequences. Despite the disobedience of unbelievers, regardless of the consequences. Hear the word of the Lord in Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, some time has elapsed, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not even know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said to him, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, 
and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of the bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are, notice what the text says, idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Notice what happens in verse 1. Moses and Aaron respond in obedience to God's call. Moses and Aaron respond in obedience to God's call. They do exactly what God has called them to, beginning back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. They very prophetically make their way to Pharaoh, and notice what they say to him. So that there can be no doubt as to the one who is speaking. They make it exceedingly clear. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. Perhaps Moses and Aaron themselves aren't quite exactly sure what is going to take place in the wilderness, but they do know this. God has given them a command to go and proclaim the word of the Lord to Pharaoh. And the purpose of this proclamation to Pharaoh is ultimately for the redemption of the nation of Israel. God is constantly calling his people to walk in obedience to him despite the disobedience of unbelievers. Moses and, Fa- Moses and Aaron are going to Pharaoh, who serves as the head, not just of Egypt, but of an entire system that is in rebellion against God. In the Egyptian system, there are over 2,000 gods. And Pharaoh is the physical, human representation of those gods, and it's his responsibility to carry out their wishes and to ensure that he is doing so in a manner that brings about the peace of the people. For there was of God, there was a God of disunity, and an expression of disunity And the Egyptian system would be an expression of the God's displeasure for what is taking place. So you can imagine Pharaoh, this mighty, powerful God himself, representative of what the Egyptians thought of as the right form of worship to all of these other pagan deities, some 2,000. And Moses and Aaron are going to have to go to that man and say to him, thus says the Lord. God's purpose for redemption indeed is worship. As I noted a few minutes ago, friends, 
That's not only the story in the book of Exodus, that's also the story in the New Testament. That is the story of today. God is redeeming a people so that that people might worship him, might honor him, might glorify him, would seek to make his name known around the world. And Moses and Aaron say to Pharaoh, this is what God desires of us. Let us go a few days' journey into the wilderness so that we might walk in obedience to God. Now, you're going to notice in just a few moments, as we read, that Moses and Aaron want the nation of Israel to walk in obedience to God for what purpose? They fear the judgment of God. They are concerned that if they don't walk rightly with God, that there will be consequences. They said, unless he fall against us and pestilence and the sword come against us. So Moses and Aaron know that there are consequences for the nation of Israel walking in disobedience to God, but how will Pharaoh respond? Look at Pharaoh's response in verse 2. Pharaoh expresses his disbelief through denying God's existence. I'm sorry, what did you say, Pharaoh says? Who? Well, I don't know of a God such as that. For sure, Pharaoh, as the head, as the human representative of the gods, would have known the deities in Egypt. He would have known the various gods as they were expressed in the land. And so you can imagine in Pharaoh's hearing, he hears that this God Yahweh is wanting this group of people to follow him in obedience. And Pharaoh's response to that is, who? I don't know a God such as that. There's no God in Egypt with the name Yahweh, if you will. Pharaoh is expressly denying the existence of the one true living God. And friends, I express to you this morning that Pharaoh's exclamation that Yahweh does not exist takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What is Satan doing in the Garden of Eden as he communicates with Eve? Has God really said? God did not say. Ultimately, Satan is getting Eve to doubt the very word of God, to disobey the word of God, and to deny God's existence. And friends, the expression of rebellion that was sown into the heart of Eve in Genesis chapter 3 is the same rebellion that is being expressed in Pharaoh's heart. Unless we think it's an expression only seen are highlighted in the hearts of people like Pharaoh who really rebel against God. Let me say to us this morning, this is the same expression of rebellion that is found in every human heart 
that denies God's existence. Friends, perhaps you're, perhaps you're here this morning and you don't believe in God. And for you, maybe it's, a, it's an intellectual conversation. And in your mind, you think, I'm far too smart. I've studied science. I have an engineering degree. There, there are other ways to explain the existence of the universe. And for you, your denial of the existence of God has been masqueraded in your heart and in your mind as a moment of great intellect. I'm too intelligent for that. While you might be intelligent, friend, your intelligence is not what is keeping you away from belief and faith and hope and trust in God. Your rebellion against God, your disbelief is what's keeping you away from a holy, righteous, good, loving God. Your rebellion is the same rebellion in Pharaoh's heart. For when we rebel against God, when we reject God, when we suppose that we don't have to obey His Word, we are ultimately saying, I am God, you are not. We are denying His very existence. Who is this Lord? And not only who is this Lord, uh, pray tell me, why should I even obey his voice? Why should I give one second of thought to what you are claiming this God has even said? For I do not even know this God. By the time the narrative with Pharaoh has concluded, Pharaoh will absolutely know who is God. And notice just real quickly, quickly with me, jump over to chapter 6. And notice how in the text of Scripture, this theme of knowing the Lord is given to us quickly, time and time over here in chapter 6 into chapter 7. Chapter 6, verse Two, God spoke to Moses and said to him, what? I am the Lord. Look at verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Look at verse 7. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know what? That I am the Lord your God. Look at verse 8. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Look at verse 29. The Lord said to Moses, what? I am the Lord. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I 
am the Lord. Look at chapter 8, verse 18. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not, so that there were no gnats on beasts. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of the Lord. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Chapter 10, verse 2. And you shall tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know what? That I am the Lord. We can keep going. Chapter 12, chapter 14. Pharaoh, you and I, in our rebellion and in our pride, can deny the existence of God. But friends, try as you may, we will never in our own intellect erase the eternal truth that there is a God who exists and stands as sovereign over your life and my life. Pharaoh serves as an example of a rebellious heart against God, but that doesn't stop the prophets of God. Look at verse 3. Moses and Aaron aren't going to take that sitting down, if you will. Moses and Aaron fear God more than they fear man. And look what it leads to. Obedience. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Moses and Aaron expressed their ultimate faith in God knowing that God is continually calling us to walk in obedience to Him regardless of the circumstances. And notice the fear that they have of God more than they fear man. Moses and Aaron know ultimately that there is not a second too soon at which their lives will come to an end that God himself has not ordained. If God has not ordained Moses and Aaron to die at the hands of Pharaoh at this moment, they know that their disobedience could actually lead to the judgment of God. See, friends, God is not just carrying out his judgment against those who do not believe and he will ultimately finally do that. But the testimony of this narrative as well, throughout the totality of the book of Exodus, is God is one who continually pursues his people, calling them to obedience, and will indeed execute judgment against them when they do not obey. Don't think that just because at some moment in your life you walked an aisle or said a prayer, that you can live your life how you want and escape the judgment of God. Moses and Aaron remind us that even for the people of God, 
it is far better to walk in obedience to Christ, to God and his word, than it is to live our lives in rebellion against him. What does rebellion get us? John beautifully depicts this narrative for us in his gospel. In John chapter 12, John gives us a narrative of what is taking place in the hearts and lives of the people. He's explaining to us the unbelief in the heart of the people. And listen what John says. He quotes Isaiah. Verse 41 of chapter 12, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. Isaiah saw the glory of Christ, and he spoke of Christ. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. If you seek the glory of man, you will never find the glory of God. If you seek the glory of man, you will find the wrath of God. Moses and Aaron are not only communicating a truth as it relates to the people of God, Moses and Aaron are also communicating a truth that relates to those who do not believe. This is a gospel truth. If you live your life in rebellion against God, you will one day face the judgment of God. You will one day face the sword of God. And that sword of God and that judgment of God will be eternal damnation and separation from a holy, righteous, good God. Friend, don't position your heart in the heart of Pharaoh. Don't fill your life with pride and arrogance. Don't suppose in your intellect you know more than God. Humble yourself even now at this moment in acknowledgement of the greatness and the goodness and the superiority of God by confessing His Son Jesus as Lord. And there, friends, you, by faith and trust in Jesus, can avoid the plight of Pharaoh whose life will end in utter destruction. Notice Pharaoh's rebellion once more, but it's a text that we'll get to next Sunday. Chapter 5, verse 2, I don't know who the Lord is. Even though Aaron and Moses have said to him, thus says the Lord, look at verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says who? Pharaoh. Look what Pharaoh is doing. Pharaoh absolutely believes that he is an equal to this God of the Hebrews. The God of the Hebrews makes declarations. 
and the God of the people equally makes declarations. But this disobedient of Moses, sorry, of Pharaoh is highlighted in verse 4 through verse 9 as Pharaoh rejects the will of God and the people of God due to their obedience will suffer momentary earthly consequences. You read the narrative just a few moments ago. Pharaoh doesn't like the plan. Pharaoh isn't thrilled with what's taking place. So what does he assume of the nation of Israel? What does he assume of the, of the men? Aha. The reason that they must be asking to go for a three days journey into the wilderness, they have way too much time on their hands. If you can leave Egypt and go worship this God that I don't even know, that is meaningless, that has no power, that is useless, if you've got time for that, that says to me, you have a lot of time on your hand. So how does Pharaoh respond? I'm going to increase their burdens. I'm going to increase their burdens by demanding that they continue to make the same number of bricks in a day, but instead of them just making the bricks, I'm going to now dispatch them and make them go find their own straw. So that not only now are they going to just spend their time focused in those pits, trampling the mud into the straw, and then constructing them into bricks to bake in the sun, I'm going to dispatch them now to go out and find their own straw. Their labor has now intensified a hundred times over. Perhaps, friends, this is what you think it's like in following Christ. In our culture and in our society, America has been sold a false gospel that has no hope. We've been told, if you come to God, if you trust in Jesus, you can live like me. If you hope in God, you won't be sick anymore. If you trust in Jesus, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And we have churches across this nation, even at this moment, who are masquerading themselves as gospel-believing Christians who are doing nothing more than lying to a group of people. And what happens? Friends, the plight of the nation of Egypt is the plight of the nation of Israel. And did we not see that highlighted this summer in the Psalms? Let me say to you this morning, friends, there is no hope from God to you and me that if you trust in Christ, that your life today will be easy in any measurable way. Your good job, your incredible family, your nice neighborhood, 
should not be misconstrued ultimately as the favor of God upon your life because you can live in all of those nice neighborhoods and have the nicest family and the nicest job and be hell-bound your entire life. The narrative of this text reminds us that the one call of the gospel is the same call of God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 18. The one thing God is asking of you and me, regardless of our circumstances, would you follow me and do so obediently? This is why Jesus in the Gospels, time and time again, say to that same group of people who in the Gospel of John claim that they believed, unless you take up your cross, you cannot follow me. And friends, Jesus' call for you and me to take up a cross was not a call for us during a moment of Lent to give up chocolate so that we might claim we've been obedient to God. God's call for you and me to take up the cross and follow Jesus was not a call for you and me to deny our flesh and act like we're doing something just incredible when we don't open up our phones and look at pornography on our browser. Jesus' call to take up the cross was a radical call of obedience that said, if you will follow me, you must be prepared to give your life for that gospel call. And this is the narrative of Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. God is constantly, consistently calling His people to obedience. Despite the disbelief of those around you, regardless of circumstances. It's easy to be a Christian when your culture around you seems to be rowing in the same direction. It's another story to say, thus saith the Lord, in a culture that says, thus saith Pharaoh. Will you obey God today? Will you walk in obedience to Christ? Woodlawn, will we fear God or will we fear man? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the revelation of your word. We thank you for this gospel call.
that we would live our lives walking in obedience to you. So God, as we spend a few moments reflecting on this word, stir in our hearts a great passion for obedience regardless of our circumstances. Would you spend a few moments, friend, where you're seated this morning and just reflect on the preaching of God's word? Are you willing to be a Moses and an Aaron? Are you willing to say, thus saith the Lord? Are you willing to walk in obedience to God? How is your current expression of obedience being demonstrated in your life? What are very specific ways you see that obedience in your life? Do you desire to honor God? Or do you desire the approval of man? What needs to change in your life today so that you can be a Moses and an Aaron? What needs to change at this moment for it to be said of your life, I am walking obediently with God? Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and confess your disobedience to God and ask His forgiveness? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing. As we sing, friend, if you're here today and you have not trusted in Christ, you stand in rebellion against God, and you have questions about what it means to trust in the Lord, myself and Pastor Travis will be down front. We would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come down and see one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you. For there are plenty of people seated around you who would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you would like for one of us to pray with you. That indeed your faith might be strengthened. That you might walk rightly with God. That you would live your life in obedience to God, responding as Moses and Aaron did, willing to go, to do, to say whatever God has called you to. We would delight in shepherding your hearts by praying for you. And thirdly, perhaps you've made a decision that this is the community of faith in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ 
As we sing, this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of our faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now through song, we ask that our response to you might be pleasing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with